0: Would you let me pray for uh, our morning? Father, thank you for today. Um, Lord, your word says that all of our days are ordained by you. And that, Lord, before any, any day ever came to be, that you knew it. Lord, today uh, was on your calendar, and I trust that each person sitting in this room this morning is here for a reason. God, would you speak to us? I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and our ears and that you would speak to us today, Lord. I pray that we would hear your voice, certainly over my voice. I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. God, would you encourage our hearts? Would you comfort our hearts? Would you speak life into our hearts today? We commit the next uh, half hour to you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I like the way David, uh, David Lomas, he's David Lomas is a pastor. I like the way he defines identity. Here's how he defines identity. He says, identity is the truest thing about you. Identity is the truest thing about you. There are a lot of things that are true about you and a lot of things true about me. But the truest, the truest thing about us is how we see ourselves. And the interesting thing about is our identity is this. Identity cannot come from within. Now, the world will tell you otherwise. But the truth is, according to the Bible, our identity must come from without, outside of ourselves. Our identity doesn't come from within ourselves. You must find your identity outside of you. And so before we dive into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I just want to point out a couple of things. Number one, that what's interesting about these 10 verses is it's actually one long sentence in the original Greek language. And it's really broken up into two parts. The first three verses, verses 1 through 3... Paul's gonna tell us that we're spiritually dead apart from Christ. That apart from Christ, that outside of Christ, that, that before Jesus, outside of our relationship with Jesus, that we are spiritually dead. And the last seven verses here in Ephesians 2, he's gonna say, but we've been given new life and we've been given a new identity in Christ. And this is really point, uh, important for us to understand because oftentimes in Christianity, here's what happens. We view, we mistakenly view Christianity as just another religion or another approach to become a better version of ourselves. Listen, dead people don't become better people, okay? Dead people are dead. And so what Paul says is apart from Christ, outside of relationship with Jesus, we are spiritually dead. But in Christ, we have new life and we have a new identity. Our identity is not based on us. It doesn't come from within within us it's given to us in Christ Jesus. Let's read this. Follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 2, 1-10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit does not work in those who are disobedient. All of us, every one of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, we're going to come back to this, it is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness to, in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. Catch this. This is not from yourselves. There's nothing we can do. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. The old NIV said we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do His works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. How has your identity been shaped outside of Jesus? How has your identity been shaped outside of Jesus? Or what shapes your identity other than Jesus? Let's look back at the text at the first three verses here in chapter 2. He says, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us, Lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we we were by nature deserving of wrath. Here's what this is really important. Paul spends the first chapter in chapter one. We talked about this last week, and if you read through it, you can see in chapter one. Paul talks about how we have been given all of these spiritual blessings in Christ. And that in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 1, we've been given everything we need. In Christ, he lists several things. But here, at this point in the letter he's writing to his Ephesians, he stops, he draws back, and he stops talking about what we've been given, and he starts talking about their past. He starts talking about the readers and who they were before Christ. He says, apart from Christ, you were dead in your sins when you followed the ways of this world. I like the message version of this. The message version translates this section. It says, you let the world, who doesn't know the first thing about how to live, tell you how to live and tell you who you are. How would Paul bring up their former life and all of their sins and transgressions and all their failures and mistakes? That doesn't seem like a very loving, kind thing to do. I mean, if that's not who they are now, why even mention their past to them? Look, it's because in order to understand who we are in Christ, we must understand who we were before Christ or outside of Christ. And so, Our point number one is going to be this today. It's in your notes. You are not who you were. You are not who you were. If you want to fill in the blank, for many of us, this is a huge message. This is a huge, huge, huge message because we often view ourselves in light of our mistakes and our failures and our past. Listen, you are not the summary of all your past failures. You know, and this may, this may not be ever more uh, evidenced, if you will, than in the context of marriage. Uh, you know, early on maybe in your marriage, let's just say um, that you lost the remote control a lot, okay? And most, typically this is the guys, but sometimes it's not. I've got to be careful. My wife's in the room, so i got to... Watch where I venture here. But uh, so you might have lost the remote control a lot early on in marriage, and you may have been labeled, and you may have been communicated, and you may have been told that you were basically the remote control loser, right? And so anytime the remote control got lost, what happened? Who got blamed? The remote control loser did, right? Now, you may have had new life. You may have new identity. You may have been transformed. You may have some, changed some things, and you may have not have lost the remote control for months. But if the remote control goes missing, who gets blamed? The remote control loser, right? Because why? Because it's what we used to be is sometimes often how we continue to be identified. And let's just take this a step further, guys. Um, is there any husbands, are there any husbands in the room who have ever been accused uh, of doing something or have, your, your wife has ever gotten upset with you because of something you did in her dreams? Anybody ever had that happen? Yes, we got a couple more anybody else just one? Oh, come on guys, don't be don't be ashamed. She I've had this happen several times. I will wake up, I will wake up on a Friday morning or Saturday morning and I'm hanging around the house and 30 minutes will go by and I can tell my wife has been a little cold to me, a little frustrated with me and there's a bit of attention. tension and I'm thinking, what could I do? What could I I've been awake for 30 minutes like what could I have done so far? Like this early in the morning. I mean, like what did I do wrong? And so I'll kind of maybe prod a little bit and say, "Honey, what's going on? What's what's wrong?" And she'll say, "Well, I'm angry with you. I'm frustrated with you. I'm like, well, why? Well, because it's something you did last night in my dreams. I'm like, wait a second. Now I'm getting identified and labeled based on something I did in your dreams? Like, come on. I think it's time to draw the line somewhere. Like, we can't get in trouble for things we, things we do in people's dreams. Uh, I'm going to have to pay for that. My wife's sitting over there. But listen, here's what happens, right? Sometimes we get labeled and identified based on our past, based on things we did in the past. And they are carried forward in the present, and we live out of that identity. And so let me, just, let me just remind you this morning, you are not who you were. And so the truest thing about you, the truest thing about you is not that you're divorced. The truest thing about you is not that you cheated or that you were cheated on. The truest thing about you isn't that you dropped out or that you got kicked out or that you were locked up, or that you you slept around. The truest thing about you is not that you were addicted or even still struggling with addiction. The truest thing about you is not that you were evicted or that you were even convicted. It's not the truest thing about you. Those things may be true of you, but that's not who you are anymore in Christ. Those things are not what define you anymore. You know, another way many of us have had our identity identity shaped is by listening to what other people have said about this. Find this to be true? Throughout our lives, we listen to the voices and the things that people say and the things that people try to tell us uh, who we are or who we ought to be. And there are specifically kind of two factors that play into this and, and why this is really important in shaping our identity. And it's called the early and often factor. The early and often factor. And basically what I mean by that is this, what we're told about ourselves early and often has a significant impact on shaping our identity. So the early information factor, these messages that we received about ourselves early in life from influential people shape our identity, shape a false identity apart from Christ. And so if you think about it for a moment, things that people said to you that carried a lot of weight, maybe it was a parent, and maybe your parents said, you are... Or you were such a fill in the blank. Or maybe it was a step parent or a teacher or a coach or a sibling or maybe a friend. But the voices we listen to early on carry a lot of weight, don't they? And 30, 40, 50, 60 years later sometimes, the things that people say to us continue to shape our identity today. And it always it doesn't always have to be a direct statement of identity either. Oftentimes, it's indirect. I think that's probably the more powerful and dangerous messages, the indirect messages. I was standing at the library last week um, over here in, in Carmel, and I was standing here looking at some books, and, and about 10, 15 feet away from me to my left was what seemed to be, what I gathered, uh, was a mom and maybe her five- or six-year-old son, Okay. And uh, mom, is, mom is looking at some books up here, and she's looking at some things on the top shelf. And the five- or six-year-old is looking at books on the bottom shelf, and he keeps pulling all these books off. But every time he pulls one of the books off, I can't help but hear, here's what she says, Stop it! Stop it! A very harsh, sharp tone. Every time he pulls one off, he, she yells, Stop it, he puts it back on. He can't help himself. He's a five-year-old little boy. He keeps pulling things off the shelf. And at one point, she raises her voice. This is in the library, mind you. So loud that she says, just stop touching everything. And she lets out this this sigh. What do you think was communicated to that little boy? Listen, I'm a parent. I've lost my patience. I know how it's challenging. But listen, what message do you think that little boy heard? Let me translate it for you. You are a burden to me. You are frustrating me. You are annoying. How do you think at five years old, that message, those indirect messages are shaping that poor little boy's identity? It happened to you and it happened to me. Various people throughout our lives have spoken things both directly and indirectly. And those things that we've heard Those messages we've heard about ourselves have shaped our identity. And here's the thing, they don't have to be true. The messages, the things that people say, they don't always have to be true of us. It doesn't matter if they're true of us, you just have to believe that they're true. That's the thing about identity. It may not be true of who you really are, but if this is what you're told early and often and you begin to believe it's true and it has the same impact or the power over you and over your life as as if it were true. And so that's why if you pay attention, you'll see PhDs who feel stupid or you'll see successful CEOs who feel like failures. Or you'll see fitness competitors who think they're fat or wives who are dearly loved by their husbands, but they still feel unwanted. Why? Because of what they heard early and often throughout their lives. It doesn't have to be true, but as long as you believe it's true, it has the same power over you. That's why Satan knows that, and that's why he's the father of lies. Oftentimes, we listen to what other people say about us, even as adults. I struggle with this today. Even as adults, we listen to what others say because of what we're doing. We're seeking approval and affirmation from other people. I like uh, what pastor and author Mike Breen says. Look, read this quote with me. He says, Rather than finding peace in being sons and daughters of the king... People adopted into his family with a loving father. We find ourselves needing the approval from people around us, desperately hoping they will affirm our value. Maybe we're hoping they'll like us or they'll see us as successful. But many of us have hung our coat of identity on receiving the approval of others. Instead, on the love of our father who tells us before we ever do anything for him. I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. Always have and always will. My favorite passage of scripture, I quote it all the time. It was so powerful for me when God spoke it to me and made the heart connection is that when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of that water and his heavenly father audibly speaks to him. And he says, you are my son. I love you. And I'm proud of you. You're good to me. That's what that's translated. What's interesting is I love it about it is that Jesus hadn't even done anything in ministry. He hadn't accomplished anything. And he was saying, Because you're my son, I love you and I'm proud of you. And he says the same thing to us today. And so let me encourage you to listen to Jesus. You are who Jesus says you are. You are a son or daughter of the King. And so we don't want to allow our identity be shaped by what other people say about us. We want to find our identity in Christ. And another way I think our identity is often shaped outside of Jesus, outside of our relationship with Jesus is that if we don't get the verbal uh, approval and affirmation that we're looking for from others, what we do is we go to try and earn it ourselves, don't we? We try to earn our value. We try to seek our identity in the things that we do or the things that we accomplish. Let's look back at chapter 2 in Ephesians again. Look at verses 4 through 9. Paul says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Pay attention to this phrase. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his what? What? Grace. grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by what? Grace. Oh, that's lame. Come on. It's, it's like almost 12 o'clock. For it is by? Grace. Thank you. There we go. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Nothing we can do so that nobody can boast. Paul says it's by grace. It's by grace. It's not from yourselves. It's not by works. It's nothing in and of yourself. It has to come from, without, from outside yourself. Grace, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. If you've never heard this definition before, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. What that means is grace is not something we earn, but it's something given to us by God. And Paul says it is the gift of God, that God's love and his salvation and God's identity for us come not from ourselves. Our identity doesn't come from ourselves. It comes by grace. And this is really important to understand. I think many of us ultimately find our identity in what we do. We talked about this last week a little bit. It's point number two in your notes if you're keeping track. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. Your identity is not earned. Many of us were taught this early and often, though, right? We were taught early and often that our identity and our value as a person has to do with how many points we score in the game, how many trophies we win, the grade that you make or the diploma that you earn, the job that you get or the promotion you receive or the portfolio that you build, the marriage you have, the kids you raise, the house that you buy. We've been told that all of these things, all these things of the world, we've been told that that's what gives us identity, that that's what brings us value and self-worth. But it's just not true. And can I tell you, over the last few weeks, as I have prepared for this series and I have been praying, can I tell you what God's been saying to me? He's been saying, you struggle with this, Kevin. See, for me, um, I use a picture frame to illustrate it. Um, Several years ago at a spiritual retreat, I was challenged um, to... There were a number of different objects, just random objects laying on the floor. And they were objects laying between us, the people who were sitting in the room, and the cross. And we were challenged to prayerfully pick one object that we thought God may be communicating to us or saying to us that represented an object or a barrier between us and the cross. What was keeping us from experiencing all of God's love for us that was poured out for us on the cross? And that night, this was 13, 14 years ago, I, I sat there. I was like the last one in the room. I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, what is this? What what is, this is weird. Like, what does this mean? Pick an object. And I do not understand. Well, I reached down and I picked up a picture frame when I was laying there. A long story short, in hindsight, 13 years later, I can tell you that even in this season of life, God keeps reminding me about this picture frame I picked up. Because let me tell you what the picture frame represents for me. The picture frame represents for me what I am pursuing in my life. It's this image that I'm holding up here. And it it's the person that I want to become. It's the husband I want to become and the father I want to become. And those things in and of themselves are not bad, but those, that's what I'm pursuing. That's where I'm going to get my value. That's where I'm anchoring my identity in. And it's also about ministry. I want to become a certain thing in ministry. I want to accomplish certain things in ministry. I'll want to i be just candid with you. I want to make a name for myself. This is a sinful struggle of mine. And the Lord's been reminding me of this. And there's a certain house that I want, and there's a certain lifestyle that I want, and there is a certain amount of savings in the bank that I want. And I find myself over and over again in my life keep drawing myself to this image that I've painted for myself and that's what I'm pursuing and that's what it's defining success for me is if I accomplish what's in that image, if I can achieve what's in that image, and if I become what's in that image, then I'll find peace and contentment and God will love me and I'll be, I'll be able to make my heavenly father proud and, and, and make others proud. Now, even as I say that out loud, you all sit here and think, oh, that's, that's silly, right? That's not true. But don't we do that? I don't know about you, but this is what I've been doing. And here's what the Lord's been saying to me. He's saying, Kevin, lay it down. Surrender it. What if you never accomplished those things? What if you never become those things? you be okay? Will you be okay with my love? If all you had was my love, would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if all that you were recognized as was my son? That was the only recognition you ever got, that you were in Christ. Would that be enough for you? Our identity is not in what we do. Oftentimes, this is reinforced in the church world, right? We're told that you are what you do. And so that if you work hard at it, if you try to become a really good person, if you give your money, if you serve, if you attend, if you keep all the rules and you follow the rituals, if you know all the answers and you you live the way you're supposed to live, then you'll be a good Christian and God will love you. But what's the problem with that? Who's the center of that? Who's all that resting on? Us. We live these lives where we, we rest all of our hope and our faith in ourselves and that we have to live up to some expectation or we have to accomplish something in order to be right with the Lord and right with others in order to be good. And that's not what Paul writes here in Ephesians. Paul says we don't earn it. Our value and our worth does not come from what we do or does not even come from ourselves. Maybe you've heard about a guy named Dean Carnesies. I think I'm saying his right name. Anybody heard of Dean Carnesies? That's okay. Steve Waddell was the only one in the first, first <laughs> service he knows. Here's, here's why Steve knows Dean Carnesies. Dean is a runner. Okay? In fact, Time Magazine once named Dean one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. Okay? Men's Fitness Magazine hailed Dean as one of the fittest men on planet. He is internationally recognized Uh, As an uh, an endurance athlete, he's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Dean is known for pushing his body and his mind to inconceivable limits, okay? Let me tell you a few things that Dean has done. (laughs) Among his many accomplishments, okay, he ran one time 350 miles continuously, nonstop. He didn't sleep for three nights. That's just stupid, (laughs) I mean, isn't it? He ran ran across Death Valley in 120-degree temperatures. He ran a marathon to the South Pole in minus 40-degree temperatures. On 10 different occasions, 10 different times, he's run a 200-mile relay race by himself against teams of 12. What are you trying to prove? Who does that make sense to? that's so dumb. Uh, His most recent endeavor, his most recent endeavor was running 50 marathons in all 50 states in 50 consecutive days. Who does that? Like running's not that fun. Like I couldn't drive to 50 states in 50 consecutive days, much less run a marathon 50 consecutive days, 50 states. What is this guy trying to prove? That's probably why he's on Time Magazine. I'm not. <laughs> but what's he trying to accomplish? You know what? I think many of us, I think many of us struggle in life. We struggle to strive and to accomplish. We want to accomplish one more thing. We want to become the person we want to become. We want to prove our something to, to, to ourselves. And ultimately, I think we want to prove our worth. To God, we want to earn God's favor. See, this is the classic tension of the Christian is this is the old law. This is the old covenant. This is before Christ. Before Christ, the job was you had to live up to the expectations. You had to follow all the rules. And we still live that way today. But Jesus says, no, no, there's a new covenant. And that's why we celebrate communion. Because we're now in Christ and we're free from all that. You know, the Apostle Paul struggled with this himself. He says in Philippians 3, let me, let me read to you in Philippians 3 what the Apostle Paul, how he talks about himself and how he talks about his struggle to accomplish and strive and become versus just remaining in Christ. Here's what he says in verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 9. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, he says, and he's going to list a few of those accomplishments. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day a people of uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He's basically saying, I've got the last name to back it up. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. He said, I've done everything right. I've kept all the rules. I've been the model human being, he says. But that was all before Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, whatever I did outside of my relationship with Christ, however I got my identity apart from Christ, here's what he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is a guy who accomplished much. And he says, all all that I accomplished before Jesus and outside of Jesus... Is a loss. In fact, he says in verse 8, I consider it all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. I can't do it from within myself. I can't find my identity within myself. He says, but it comes f- through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, it's a gift. Paul says, look, the truest thing about me is that I'm in Christ. My identity is not in who I was. It's not in what I I have accomplished or what I've failed to do or what I have uh, succeeded at doing. My identity is in Jesus, he says. And I pray, I pray that you hear that today. I pray sincerely you hear the Lord affirming this and speaking to your heart right now because this has the potential to be so freeing. One of my mentors once told me, that when you get to the point where you realize your identity is in Christ and you no longer have to prove yourself or earn your value, it's the most, joy- most joyous freedom you'll ever experience. We don't have to do anything to be loved. We don't have to do anything to earn value. It's not even about us. That's the good news. That, that is the good news. Is that apart from Christ, before Christ, we were dead in our sins. But now in Christ, we've been given new life and a new identity. And your identity is not who you were. It's not based on what you do. Point number three in your notes, your identity is given to you by Jesus. Your identity is given to you by Jesus. You are who Jesus says you are. Let's read verses 4 through ten one more time. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us. Us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Here we go. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, he's talking about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because here's what he says in verse verse eight: For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. There's nothing we've done. It is the gift of God. Jesus on the cross on our behalf. He demonstrated his love. It was his gift. Not by works, no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul's essentially saying, listen, your identity, who you are, has been purchased with the blood of Christ. And that's exciting news. That if you're a Christian, God has the right to say who you are because he purchased you. You belong to him. The Message Bible, I love how it says, it says God did the creating and the saving. He's the one who gets to... Tell you who you are. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, You do not belong. Here you go. Do not do you not know that you but your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Here's one point out. You are not your own. You were what? Bought at a price. We've been purchased, therefore honor God with your bodies. The point is, we're not our own. The guy who owns us, the guy we belong to, he gets to name us, he gets to give us our identity. In October of 2011, the Associated Press ran a story about 285 young girls in Mumbai, India. Now, here's what was unique about these 285 girls. They all had been named Nakusa. Nakusa is translated unwanted. It is one of the most common names for girls in India, Female babies are often aborted or neglected at alarming rates because their families wanted sons and not daughters. And so these people put on a ceremony for these 285 young ladies, and it was a renaming ceremony. And it was an attempt to give the girls who were called unwanted a new name. And so they... they they listed or they lined up these 285 girls and they put on their best outfits and they put breadths in their hair and, and, and braided their hair and, uh, and they g- were given flowers and they all got in line and they were all given a new certificate with a new name. And some of the names that uh, the girls chose for themselves were prosperous or meant beautiful or meant good. One way or another. Every name they were given meant the same thing. Wanted. God wants you. He longs for you. He died for you. That's how much he wants you. These girls received new names and they were given new identities and their see their whole lives they had been they had been called and labeled these names that represented unwanted because that's what people had said about them early and often, and that's what they were called, but they've been given a new name and a new identity. And in Christ Jesus, we are given new names and a new identity. And it's so critical that we learn to live out of this. This changes everything. Our identity is found in our relationship with Christ. And so maybe you're sitting here today, and you're not sure where you stand in your relationship with God. Maybe you're just kind of seeking out, what it means to be a Christian, or maybe you're returning to church for the first time in many years, and you're still kind of wrestling with some of this, I'd love to talk with you about your relationship with God. In just a few minutes, after the service ends, I'm going to be up front, Steve will be up front. You feel free to make your way down front. I'd love to talk with you, or pray with you, or pray for you. But regardless, I want you to pick up your, everybody pick up your notes, and I want you to see at the bottom of the notes today a prayer. I want to encourage you, as you read through Ephesians this week, which I know you're all going to do. I can see it on your faces. You're all eager to go read through Ephesians this week. And as you read, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Father, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. Please open my eyes and help me to see my true identity in Jesus. Regardless of where you're at in your relationship with God, I hope that the Lord will open your eyes and help you see what is already true of yourself, that you're a son, that you're a daughter of the King. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray as we close out. And as we get ready to pray, we've said this morning that you are who Jesus says you are. I'd love for you to just close your eyes and I'm gonna remind you of about eight or ten things that Jesus has said about you, and then I'm gonna close this out in prayer, and then we're gonna keep celebrating. So close your eyes and pray with me. Father, your word says that every one of us standing in this room, that because of Christ, that we are citizens of heaven. We are God's child, we are your children, we are forgiven. We are wanted. We are pleasing to you. You are proud of us. That we bring you joy. That we are a member of your family. That we are redeemed. That you call us your friend. That you say that we are dearly loved. That we are free from condemnation. That we are free. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for what you did on the cross for us. I thank you that we are forgiven and that we are free. I thank you that we are wanted and that we bring you joy and that we've been redeemed and that you call us friend and dear loved one. God, I pray that you would open our eyes help us to see what is already true of us, God. Help us wrap our hearts around your massive, unfailing love. A love that was demonstrated on the cross. Help us to walk out of our identity and walk according to your plan and your will for our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.